Welcome to Life Lessons with Dr. Steve Shell. For 20 years, Dr. Steve's 30-minute radio program, Life Lessons, was heard throughout the United States. Committed to comprehensively teaching through entire books of the Bible, Pastor Steve pulls out the deep, eternal truths in each section of Scripture without skipping over the challenging passages. He applies what is learned clearly and practically so that we're inspired not to just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. Lord, we ask you now, open our ears and, 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 and our eyes to hear and see the Word of God. Give us soft hearts to believe and understand. Grace me to let you speak, Jesus. You're the rabbi. You're the teacher. You're our Lord. Teach us and speak to us now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're in John chapter 10. I'm going to just do one verse today. That's why it's so long. You, John chapter 10. Verse 16, Jesus is talking to religious leaders. He's talking to Pharisees, actually. He's talking to very, very conservative Bible students who know their Bibles. And there's a group of them that have been following him, that have been with him. They're, 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 they're everywhere he goes, he's, they are. And they're listening to him and they admire him. And he's telling them what the Messiah, the, first of all, he's been talking about this, the good shepherd, and he describes himself as the good shepherd. And he says the good shepherd is marked out by God to be the true one because he lays down his life for the sheep. The good shepherd comes into the sheepfold through his death. And then he says, he also describes himself as the door to the sheepfold. He's not only the good shepherd who comes in through the door, which is the way of death, laying his life down for the sheep, but he is the door to the sheepfold for the sheep. That all who come to God will come through that door. Everyone in all of history who will ever be in heaven will one way or another have come through the door of the death of Jesus Christ. He is the unique sacrifice. He is the unique atonement. Through him, God has dealt with the sin of the world and made it possible for us to repent and come to God. He now will make a statement talking again, still talking to those religious leaders, he says something really remarkable. It's verse 16. He says, I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. Whatever version you have, would you read that out loud? I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. He is telling them that he has people yet to come beyond Israel. That he's, This is his, his first flock. The shepherd has come. Remember the illustration. The shepherd has come to the sheepfold, and we talked about those stone corrals they would build, or cactus, or something like that. They make these big corrals, and they all put their sheep in them for the night, and close the door, and someone guards the door. And then in the morning, a shepherd will come, and, and uh, I, I, I noted that often, like the Bedouin, Bedouins will sing a song. That's, their, that's the way they call their sheep, they sing. Um, but, so they'll, anyhow, however it's done, they'll come to the sheepfold, and say the thing or sing the song, and the sheep will, their sheep will follow them out of that corral, leaving the other sheep there. And Jesus has said, I've got, I've got these, this corral of sheep here in Israel. I'm calling my sheep to come follow me. But he says, I have to go beyond this. There are other sheep which are not of this fold. And I have to, and he literally says, and I'll show you that later, I have to go and call them also. I have to go call to them. So he's going to go to these other corrals, these other places all over the earth, and he's going to call his sheep there, and they will follow him and come to him. He's going to take, in other words, Gentiles, people from every culture, every language, all over the planet. He says, I'm going to call them too. And he doesn't say, and I'll have a group for them and a group for you. He says, I'm going to put all you different kinds of people together, into one flock, and you're going to have one shepherd, and you're going to like each other. That's it. That's what he means. You're going to be one. 
In fact, he prays that just before he's arrested. Father, that they may be one, even as you and I are one. That the world might know that I'm your son. Hallelujah. You and I were not designed to live alone. When God created the very first human being, he said, it is not good for man to be alone. And it's not. He placed within each one of us the need to be part of a community of people. That's where we are happiest. That's where we are the most productive. And that's where we are subjected to the refining fires that burn away many of the impurities in our attitudes. That's where God trains us to cooperate with others. It's in community that we learn to be patient, kind, and generous. It's in community that we learn to put away bitterness and truly love. When we're alone too much, thinking only our own thoughts, hearing only our own voice, forming attitudes that are allowed to go unchallenged, our personality turns sour. We grow increasingly selfish. One of, the, one of the trends in America is to be alone more and more. With all of, the, all of the flesh and all of the disobedience of the ways of the Lord, as people walk into more and more addictions and defy all of the standards that the Lord has set, you end, I'll tell you where everybody's going to ending up. Alone. Alone with a television set and a drink. It's a terrible end. This is, if you and I let our temper go, if we let our, uh, we let our bitterness run, if we allow those angers to fester, as I said it the other day, if I'm angry at one person, I'm angry at everybody. You can't compartmentalize it. It's, it changes the personality. When, when, when Jesus calls someone, he does not tap us over the head with a wand and we suddenly become nice. What he does is fills us with the Spirit so that we can be nice. And he then puts in front of us he, he says, now walk in my ways. Obey me. Obey me. And one of the key things that we're going to see today is he puts us into community. He puts us into community to refine us. You, it isn't easy. I'll say this now over, over and over. It isn't easy. There's friction in community. There's all that difficulty. But you and I need that friction. We need to have the rough edges rubbed off. We need to have to be in a situation where we're apologizing and forgiving and being patient and being kind and being generous. We need it. That's how he makes us into his people. That's how he forms himself in us. Not a magic wand. The process. The obedience. Along with the power of the Holy Spirit. Now no one who has actually tried community says it, living in community is easy. It always brings friction. People are forced to live with people who are different. And our flesh does not want to be with people who are different. We clash with them. Our feelings get hurt. And we hurt the feelings of others. And every time that happens, we're faced with two options. Either we withdraw and end that relationship. Or we take very uncomfortable steps to restore it. The process is almost always emotionally draining. It exposes our failures and requires us to apologize. It forces us to wrestle into submission the desire to punish those who've hurt us. Yet those who courageously overcome these obstacles rather than try to escape them. Those who learn to set aside their own needs in order to care for the needs of others. Those who fight to preserve a relationship rather than fight to win the argument. End up surprisingly happy at peace with themselves and others. You think at the time the process will kill you. But it doesn't. This is that strange thing. Was it, was it, I love that. Uh, the illustration is really vivid to me. Caleb, you remember Caleb? Uh, it was Caleb and Joshua were the two spies who actually said we can take the land. And uh, Caleb, uh, when, when it comes time to inherit his portion of the land, you remember this. He wanted Hebron, which is frankly the nice, it's the, it's the center of the watermelon boy. It's the highlands and, the, and it's the coolest, it's the nice chunk. But it really had a tough group there. It had giants in high-walled cities. And he was 80-some years old. 
And he, and he says, give me that land. And he said, though I'm old, I go out to war like a young man. Interestingly, when you and I walk in faith, everybody else in his generation had died. But this old man was as strong as a young man. When you and I go through the pain that God gives to us, when we, when we endure it in faith, you think it's going to kill you. And instead, it makes you stronger. It does not kill us. So every time, I don't, how many times? I don't even want to know. Because you look at me, I'm, I talk too much, I, I process out loud. I, I constantly offend people. It's, it's, a, it's a gift. <laughs> it, I can't, I couldn't talk, I couldn't ride the elevator with you without insulting you somehow, you know, between floor one and floor two. And so what do I have to do with that? Well, I constantly have to apologize. I have to ask forgiveness. I have to, or I have to, or someone hurts my feelings and I have to go walk in the light. I never like it. I always get cold hands, sweaty, sick to my stomach. It's, oh no, do I have to do this again? Oh God, it's their fault. It's only their fault. Just punish them, God. Am I alone in this? Now, here's the, here's the moment. You either say, I feel terrible, I'm not going to do this, I'm out of here. And you get worse. Or you say, Holy Spirit, I'm going to obey the word. It says, speak the truth in love. It says, be reconciled insofar as you're able with all men. Okay, here we go. And you do it. And he's with you. I've done this for, for decades. And he's with you. And what, is it, what does it produce? Does it kill you? No, it does not kill you. In fact, it makes you flexible and gracious. And people like you. I mean, genuinely. You become someone they can deal with. Because they know if there's an offense, you're not going to talk about them behind their back and leave. You're going to talk to their face. They'll, they know who you are. And you're safe like that. If there's a problem, you'll tell me. If there's an issue, if I offend you, you'll forgive me. I can live with you. I can work with you. I can work side by side with you. No one expects perfection. We just need integrity. We just need you to tell us if we hurt your feelings, not talk about us behind our back. You follow this? This is how relationship, this is how families work. This is how churches work. This is how football teams work. <laughs> this is how anybody that wants to make anything work with human beings. We walk through these things. We're, we've, we've all met such people. I mean the kind that, that actually walk through those issues. Maybe you are one. They're covered with scars from past battles. But somehow those battles left them stronger, not weaker, more flexible. They aren't easily offended and people love to be around them. What's their secret? Before we answer that question, let's eliminate one myth. It isn't that they were born with a nice personality. They may have been, but life on this planet can turn anyone mean. Their secret is that they chose to pay the price to stay in relationship. They refuse to escape the friction of living with people who are different. I think one of the wonders that God has done in marriage in his design of marriage, is to put men and women together. Now, I'm not going to go down, you know, men are, men are with this and men are that. But I will tell you, men and women are profoundly different. They're different in every cell of their body. They're supposed to be. They're designed by God to be. We react differently. We think differently. Not wrongly, rightly, differently. And then God puts those two different people together and says, now form a family. Form a family. Love each other. Be patient with each other. You need each other. I am very different than Mary. She is very different than me. Without, without that woman, I'd be toast. She, I mean, she, I, I, she, she, just the, the, the process. When, when I was young, you think, I'm, you think I'm abrasive now? You should have seen me when I felt good. I could, I, I, I could evaluate and judge everything on a snap, and I have an ability with my language to, to hurt somebody instantly. And try doing that in a marriage. 
try saying things like that. Not to be cruel. I'm not even trying to be cruel. It's just the way I think. Boy, I'll tell you, that didn't go very far. (laughs) And had I not been married... And had I not had my language and my, my temper and my, or my, my uh, self-righteousness curtailed, the rubbed, friction, pushed, boiled into the in relationship issues, I'd be a terror. I'd be alone. <laughs> no one could live with me. Now, she, we'd get into these discussions and she'd, cry. She took me, took my words literally, she took, I had to stop. My wife taught me how to get along with people. She made me reel my words in and think carefully before I talked. She, 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 certain things are just not okay to say. Certain terms are just not, 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 not all right. They just will not go. And you all, have been the beneficiary of that relationship. I'm I'm telling you, you understand what I'm saying? God puts different people together on purpose. He puts men and women together and they temper one another and and when they work together, you have something remarkably beautiful and remarkably wise. God, God made it different on purpose. Today we will hear Jesus, the good shepherd, declare that it is his plan to bring together people who are very different from all over the world and to teach them how to become one. That means this shepherd's sheep must learn to live together harmoniously. There will be only one flock with one shepherd. Whether we realize it or not, his commitment to teach us to love each other is one of the greatest promises he has given us. Thankfully, he is determined to restore the human relationships that our sin has ruined. We'll either get it right in this life or we're getting it right in the next. But you and I are, are, uh, there won't be, again, I I think the reason he works on us so hard here, we're going to step into the millennium, you understand that? You're going to step into a thousand years on this planet, never mind, I'm not crazy. You will be ruling and reigning with Christ. And that means not sitting there with a scepter telling people what to do. It means a bowl and a, cl- uh, and a towel. You're going to be washing feet and caring for people because the planet's still going to have people getting saved. That's what it says. And you've got a lot of ministry ahead of you. And so the lessons that are being learned right now, the attitudes that are being formed in you right now, do not end at your death. You step across, there's a however long till he shows up, again, comes back to the earth, you're with him, consciously and then here we go now we enter into a long season of powerful ministry and people being saved and healed and everything else through you so the lessons were being learned these things he is determined to restore the human relationships that sin has ruined beginning the moment we meet him and carrying into eternity he draws us back into God's original plan a loving family a joyful community God sent the great shepherd, first of all, to the sheep who lived in Israel. But he never intended for him to stop there. The plan was always to reach the whole world. We can hear the great, that great inclusive heart being expressed when Jesus said, And I have other sheep, which means more sheep besides these. The word for other means more of the same which are not from out of this sheepfold, and it is necessary for me to lead those also, and they will hear my voice, and they will become, and the word he uses is they will come into being, be birthed literally, they will become into being one single flock of sheep with one shepherd. The group he calls other sheep certainly includes believing Jews who lived in distant lands, But Jesus was also prophetically seeing the evangelization of the Gentiles. Later on in this gospel, John will make that distinction very clear by explaining that Jesus died not only for the nation of Israel, but in order that he might also gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. John talks about Jews. He says we've come for those. 
But he's also come for the children of God who are scattered abroad, the Gentiles who will follow. God created us so that he could love us. His plan has always been to form a big family. He made us in his image so we could know him and he gave us the freedom to choose so we could become like him. But, he, but we misuse that freedom and it has required a long, difficult process to repair the damage. Our sin meant that God would have to form his family another way. And he would have nothing to start with except rebellious humans who had become enslaved to the passions and impulses that surged through their bodies, misled by confused minds, and deceived by demonic spirits. Did you hear that? That's, what that's the condition he has to start with. People who are, are, are enslaved to the, impassion, the passions and impulses that surge through their bodies, misled by confused minds, and deceived by demonic spirits. We were a mess. How could he ever produce children who are like him out of broken people like that? And not only did these humans defy him, but they also hated each other. They constantly offended each other and separated. And as the centuries passed, the barriers that divided them only grew deeper. God's original intention was for a growing, sinless human family to rule the earth on his behalf. Certainly he knew what we would do if he gave humans the freedom to choose. Still, he allowed us to rebel against him. That God never changes his mind. Even before we sinned, he committed himself to bring those who would repent back into one great family. They would become children of God. I mean, let's, let's look at this a minute. God, when he wills a thing, it's perfect. It's right. And for him, as it were, to change his mind and say, well, I guess we'll do something else, is now to do something that's wrong or mixed with wrong. He doesn't do that. God made us, he made this human race, and the idea was originally in the Garden of Eden that, they would, that the opportunity to, to obey him was there. That's what the tree was there for, the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But if the people would not take that and not rebel against him, they would grow and take over the earth, and you would have a sinless uh, children of God. I actually think they were clothed with Shekinah light. I think that's why they knew they were naked when, when, when they sinned. So they're literally glowing with the light of the Lord. You have this race of people. They were told to be fruitful and multiply. So you're going to have this growing race of people all over the planet that were going to subdue the planet and, and bring it into submission to the Lord. And I don't know. There was some kind of trouble afoot. So here was this race of people. Well, we sinned. We, we, broke, we blew that up. And with that came all kinds of damage to us. That's the, what I meant. That we're now full of a body that rebels against us. We've, we've, got, we've got minds that are full of confusion. And we've got demonic deception and temptation hammering away at us. So we're a mess. How will God ever get what he wanted, which was a family? How will he get his family out of that? He never gives up. Diversity. God's plan has always been to form a family from all the peoples of the earth, both Jews and Gentiles. Yet surprisingly, God is the one who divided us into different groups. The Bible reveals that he was forced to do that for a reason. And understanding that reason will help us understand what Jesus was announcing when he said he would form one flock with one shepherd. First, let's establish a very important fact. There is only one human race. We have not evolved from different sources. All humans are descended from Adam and Eve. Listen to Paul's declaration in Athens. Would you read this with me out loud? He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation that they would seek God, if perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. Paul's talking to Greeks on Mars Hill when he said that. 
and he said, God has made from one, actually, the man, when you see it in the parentheses like that, it's because it, it's, it's, it's supplied by the translator because they think that's what it means. But he's, God has made from one, one man, one family, every nation on earth and has appointed their times. Now, there were seasons that various kingdoms rise up and, the, and he says the frontiers of, their, of, their, their, of where they live. In other words, how far those, those groups will extend. God has, God has ruled over that. He has made from one. If you go back far enough in time, every one of us in this room has the same set of parents. Did you follow that? This is really important. This is really important. I actually think the way that the, the, the modern science is, you kind of almost think, we, well, we all came up different ways, you know, different, 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 different this kind of, that. we've evolved through that. That's not, that's not at all what the Bible says. Nor, may I add, is it really what biology says. Every one of us on planet Earth has one of four blood types. Figure that out. Every, if you take every one of us on planet Earth, we are 99 point something percent identical genetically. We all come from a common set of parents. There's no question about it. No question at all. We may have different languages. We may have different appearances. We may have different cultures. We may have all sorts of things. But if you push us back and farther enough in time, we all have the same set of parents. Yes? That changes everything. That changes the thinking. God started us, and he will bring us back. Number two. Second, God is the one who initially divided the human race into diverse groups. The reason he did this may seem odd, but it is actually very important. Very early in human history, the Antichrist spirit rose up and threatened to control the earth. There will be a terrible Antichrist at the end of the age. But Antichrists have sprung up all through history. They combine governmental power with the hatred of the true God and seek to crush God's people. They always become violent. That's what was happening when we read about the Tower of Babel. This is in Genesis 11. The entire human race was being united to oppose God. So the Lord divided them by changing their languages. His goal was to drive people apart so there would be opposing nations. Then when an antichrist arose somewhere on the earth, there would always be a place to flee and other nations to oppose him. No one could dominate the entire planet. In that way, God postponed that terrible moment until the end of the age. Now, this is it. What you have there with the Tower of Babel is you have the first Antichrist. His name was Nimrod. It's talked about there in, uh, in, in chapter 10. It says Nimrod was a mighty hunter. But what it means was he was an enormously powerful uh, military officer. A warrior. He, he, he conquered the earth. And it says he built Babylon. He built Nineveh. He built all of this stuff. And he built the tower. And what the, to what the tower is, is a tower to worship the sun, the moon, and the stars. That's the powers of heaven. And so he, and he, was, he called all the earth, because he, he dominated the whole place, to come together at that tower and to worship the sun and the moon and the stars. This is Antichrist at work. This is what I meant. So what did God do? God said, no, no, it's way too early for the planet to end. It's way too early for the Antichrist to rise up and, and, and to, to have this happen. I must postpone this. So what he did is he divided people by languages, suddenly confused the languages, and people began to go away from each other. They couldn't understand each other. They became different. And so he drove people apart into all different parts of the earth, forming different nations, different peoples. Why? So no one, no one world government, no one world thing could rise up and have an antichrist. Antichrists come up all through history. 
That spirit expresses itself over and over again. In fact, they pop up like dandelions in the lawn. Uh, you can you, name one that, that you've seen in your lifetime. Yeah, Hitler's the first. He is, a, he, is, he is a very close replica of what the final one will be. You see, there will be one at the end. There will be one. In fact, the one at the end is actually, at, some, at, a, at a point, Lucifer himself leaves heaven and inhabits the body of that man. Can you imagine the horror of that Antichrist? Now, let me tell you what, what the book of Revelation says. The book of Revelation, here you have a man who is now inhabited by Lucifer, attacking uh, believers, uh, destroying them. In fact, Jesus will say if, it, if the time was not brought to an end, he would have cleaned out, annihilated all believers. You have, you have this individual, and, and here's, here's the key verse in the whole book of Revelation. I'm going to tell you how the book of Revelation. It says that, speaking of the church of that last day, they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. John tells us that the worst thing hell has to offer, the Antichrist himself who is inhabited by Lucifer, who with all of this, and he will finally have world domination, could not destroy the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. That they overcame even that monster by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. Do you hear this? You know what John's message is in the book of Revelation? If that last generation can withstand that monster, you can withstand what you're facing too in your generation. I just explained to you the book of Revelation. That's the message of it. That's the message of it. If they can do it, you can do it. Amen. That was worth the price of admission right there. Let me take this a little further. What stopped Hitler? Why didn't he conquer the earth? Other nations. Took, took the United States a little while to want to get in this, this mess. We joined it. The Allied forces joined it. And you had enough of a, of a, of a, from these other sources rise up and stop that monster. Amen? That's what was happening. This was what he put into place in Genesis 11. And it's why he put it into place. I want you to see this. I want you to see that God has divided us into this group because of, a, of an ugly reason, actually. And he's going to restore it. Look. Meanwhile, the earth is full of people who are different with different languages, cultures, and appearances. But the important fact for us to see here is this. God divided us because of sin, because of that, that Antichrist spirit. It wasn't his original plan. It wasn't his original plan. He didn't want everybody divided. He had to divide them. Do you follow? So when the power of sin is broken, he brings us back together again. In order to bring us back together again, God would have to perform a miracle. He would have to take out of us the old heart of stone and put in us a heart of flesh. And he promised that he would do that when the Messiah came. Listen, why don't you read this with me? Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Now this is true when a person is genuinely regenerated. It is not true when a person does not, only in a shallow way, engages Christianity. It is not true when a person calls themselves a Christian. It is not true when a, when a, when a person just uh, knows all kinds, of, grows, up, grows up in the church and has tons of theological knowledge. There is at the heart of Christianity a true inward miracle. And it doesn't happen until it happens. You know, I was just reading something. Uh, <laughs> I read stuff that not everybody reads. And I'm reading a book about the Moravian revival <laughs> in 1727. They actually had a, a baptism of the Holy Spirit fall on everybody in, in August 13, 1727. Anyway, the... Catherine Booth, uh, the, the wife of 
William Booth, who was the founder of the Salvation Army. She was, she was preaching on, on this basic thing. The heart of, of, of everything in, in true Christianity comes down to a new heart. God comes inside a person and changes them when they're real. And she, tells her, she was telling her workers, she said, I don't want you telling people they're saved. She said, that's God's job. She said, who are you to know what's going on in their heart? You can lead them in a prayer all you want. That doesn't mean a thing. And she said it this way. She said, how, how are we to know? She said, when true surrender has been made. How are we to know? And this is her words. When the right eye has been plucked out and the right hand has been cut off. How are we to know? She said, but when it happens, God knows and he will tell them immediately. In other words, the Holy Spirit, that's the passage. Remember where John, Paul says, the spirit within us bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. This is the inward miracle. People, this is why it is so confusing when you look at church history. This is why people are so confused looking at the church. You have people who call themselves Christians, who know theology, who observe our holidays, who do all of those things, who mouth things. And yet, there's a heart of stone still within them. They aren't different. They still are selfish. They're still rebellious at core. And so they take their Christianity and they hurt people. And if you look at church history, there are things that just leave you speechless. Speechless. Like, you can't be serious. We did what? Those aren't Christians. They called themselves that. They thought they were, but they had a heart of stone. Nobody with a heart of flesh does some of the things people do. And you live with it, too. You have, we have people around us, and we, people in our, our families and, and churches and all, where you, where you think, how on earth did you do that? I could never have done that. Heart of stone. Not had that miracle take place. Boy, I'm off on a... I had... I just, got a, I just got a communication from one, one of our old-timers here at Northwest. When, when I was, first came here, he was, he was one of the leaders then. And I started preaching somewhere along the line more on repentance, real repentance. In other words, the stuff, cut off the hand, pluck out the eye. When you, have you really sold out to Jesus Christ? And I, was, I had preached a sermon like that. It was back when this, the auditorium was the other direction. This was way back. And here, he was one of my small group leaders and everything. He and, his, he and his wife were leaders in the church. And he came down the aisle afterwards. You know, I stand here and wait. And, and he came up to me and he said, Pastor Steve, I think I got saved today. I said, don't say that. It, it um, just doesn't look good. You know, he, he's a small group leader. He's all of these kinds of things. I said, I said, I said don't, don't, don't say that. I said, and he looked at me, he didn't, he didn't, he didn't smile, he didn't, he didn't blink. He looked straight at me, he says, all I know is I prayed with you today and something has happened to me that's never happened before. A year and a half later, he left the church. But here's how he left. He came up to me and he said, Pastor Steve, we got to leave. He had a really good job at Boeing. I mean, everything was working. And he says, we got to leave. We got to go home. Oklahoma's Oklahoma. He says, we got to go back there. He says, not one of my family knows the Lord. He said, forgive me if I said, I hate Oklahoma. He said, he said, you know, the weather and everything. But he says, I got to go. I got to go. So he quits his job. And they move back there to find a church, a good one, so he can start praying and inviting his family to church. What is he? He's a missionary. I didn't tell him to do that. I didn't want him to go. They still come see me every time they're in town. What were they doing? Out it had gone. In it had come. Heart of love. I can't let my mom and my dad, my brothers, my sisters, I can't let them die without Christ. I got to quit my job. I got to go back there. I got to get them. You hear that? That's what the new heart does. That's what the miracle heart does. When men and women surrender fully and believe entirely in the cross of Jesus Christ.
that happens inside a, a human being. He says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Above all else, that promise means we will be able to love again. He, we, will, we can love God as he deserves to be loved. And love people as if they were our closest family members. Old prejudices will fall away. And we love others because God loves them. The assignment. There was no doubt in Jesus' mind that bringing people back together again was a central part of his assignment. And that this included people from all over the earth. Listen. This Jesus said about a Roman centurion. He says, truly I say to you, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. I say to you that many will come from east and west and recline at table. That means to sit down and eat in that peaceful fellowship we talked about. Recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Who is it who's coming from east and west? Gentiles. He's talking about a Roman centurion. And he says, this, look at the faith in this man. He says, I tell you, the day will come when, we, when that great gathering, that feast is there with, with, the, with the patriarchs of Israel. He said, there will be Gentiles filling that table full of faith. Luke 24. And he said to them, thus it is written, that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead. The third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations. To who? All the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. Acts 1 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria, which is not part of Israel, and even to the remotest part of the earth. The Apostle Paul also heard that same assignment. Listen, Ephesians 3. You have heard of the stewardship of God's grace which was given to me for you. And he's talking again to the Ephesians. That by revelation there was made known to me the mystery. Which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men. As it has now been revealed to his holy, prof holy apostles and prophets in the spirit. To be specific... That the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body. And fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. He says, here's the mystery that God has shown me as the apostle. He said in other apostles, the other apostles, we see this. That now through Jesus Christ, the Gentiles and the Jews have been put together. That we all belong as part of one family. I love this verse in 1 Corinthians 12, 13. One verse, listen to this. For by one spirit, says Paul, we were all baptized into what? One body. Yeah. We, he, Paul talks, first of all, he says, by the Holy Spirit, when you become a true Christian, you get plunged into, that's what baptizo means, immersed into, you get plunged into one body. You, got, you and I get put into the church of Jesus Christ. He doesn't ask our permission. He doesn't decide, you know, what, where would you like to be? He puts you into the family of God. You are plunged into it. It is simply his will. There is no options. And then, I, then it goes on. Watch this. Whether Jews or Greeks, see this great diversity, slaves are free. And, and then he says, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. Now that's a different action. I was first of all plunged into the family of God and then I was made to drink the Holy Spirit. What's that? The baptism of the Holy Spirit. I mean to be filled with the Spirit of God. I'm plunged into the family filled with the same Spirit, all of us. We have within us the same Spirit of God. Response. It's one thing to see divisive forces at work in the human race in general. But it's another to recognize them in ourselves. Attitudes we might easily condemn when we see them in someone else don't appear as bad when we find them in us. We usually develop excuses and explanations for our own behavior. The problem is, becoming a believer doesn't automatically make a person loving or kind. 
It makes it possible for a person to be loving or kind. Though I will have to say, I almost have to count, I have to be careful with that. Because John will say, our dear John, he will say in, in, in his first epistle, he says, if a person does not have the love of God, they aren't saved. He just says it. In other words, and he's, what's he talking about? If the stone hasn't been pulled out and the flesh hasn't been put in, they aren't really gods. He just says it. So there will be a new heart in this person. Though our heart has changed, our flesh hasn't. Now that's the problem. We still have to choose. We must, number one, recognize that we need to be in community. We must see it as God's will, not as an option. With streaming, with podcasts, with those are good things. Uh, I, I'm grateful for that. I, I, we have a, a lot of people uh, amazed where, where it goes all over the planet watching, and I'm grateful for that. But however we are, just watching, just sitting at home, watching television, listening to something, is not enough. You can take in information, but where's the friction? Where are the people? Where are the people to love you, 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 they're going to pray for and know you and stand with you and, and offend you? And you'll have to apologize to them and they'll apologize to you. You need that. I need that. We need that. Where am I going to be refined? Where am I going to be encouraged? Where am I going to be with my brothers and sisters? Christianity is not meant to be lived alone. And it is not successfully done alone. You look at the people that are alone. They aren't doing well. Almost to a person. There is something that requires us to be in a community. I need someone who will confront me and challenge me if I begin to err. That's a gift. It's not a problem. That's a gift. And he never puts us in... I mean, there's no such thing as a church that is, that's got everybody healthy. I, I, I've told you this before. It's a very profound moment in my life. Years ago, when I was, I was young and knew everything, I, I, I made a comment to the Lord. I didn't belong to any church. I mean, we were footloose and fancy free. We went to all kinds of places. We, we just knew the hippest things there were to know. And uh, I said to the Lord, I said, Lord, I love you, but I don't like your people. I'd said it before. I thought it was funny. I was chuckling. And uh, boy, did he draw me up short. He said to me, well, I love my people. He said, I don't think that's funny. And I don't ever want to hear it again. They're mine. And, and it's just, like, it just like you went and pulled the blinders off my eyes. And he suddenly said, yes, they have problems. And so do you. Boy, did I ever. He said, so, but he said, they're mine. The way they are, they're mine. And you don't talk about them that way. They're my children. They're my family. Do you follow this? So you say, well, there's all kinds of people. There, there ought to be. There ought to be people in every sort of condition, in any kind of community of God's people. New believers, old believers. There ought to be people who've just gone through traumas and struggles. People who've, who, who are finding their weaknesses in areas. That's normal. This is family. It's a spiritual family. You and I have been, without our permission, plunged into the family of God. We'll either obey it or not obey it. I mean, I'm not just talking about Northwest. Do you understand this? This is, what we, this is wherever, we, this is the church of Jesus Christ around the planet. We have been plunged into the family of God, and that needs to be lived out with real flesh and blood people, not some theory. And that's how he grows us. Number two, we need to recognize the forces in our flesh that will try to drive us apart. We'll get offended, we'll get tired, we'll get frustrated, we'll get all... And is there times when things get really dangerous? Sure. But we still need to find places where we belong, where we're home. Number three, learn the skills of relationship and practice them diligently. We must learn to reconcile our differences. It's just a fundamental skill. Hum we need to humbly cooperate with others as a part of a team. Some of us want to lead everything, and we never can take an order. Uh, it, you need that tamed down. I need it tamed down. Uh, right now, I, 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 I have people over me. 
And I'm mad at all of them. <laughs> and it, it is so good for me. No, I'm, I'm, I'm partly joking. In fact, I mean, I, I've had things done that, that hurt my feelings. And you know, what I, you know what he had me doing? This was in worship this morning at this service. Uh, the Lord was saying, uh, thank me for that. And, and I, said, I said, thank you, Lord, that, you will, you, that you, will, you will pummel my pride. I bless you for that. That I might stay usable and not become a monster. I need the process. I need to be humbled. I need to be insulted. I need to I do. It's part of how God will keep me usable. Blessed be the Lord. We need to initiate relationship with people who are different from ourselves. We need to, to look around and, and open our eyes, open our heart wider and love people more, as, more people as if they were our own flesh and blood. You'd be surprised how many, quote, Christians. I, I've heard people who are, quote, Christians say, if you adopt that child, they're not mine. What? Oh, that's sweet. What a great racist attitude. What are we, genetic superior? Adoption is the thing of God. That's an appalling attitude. Absolutely disgraceful. But what they're saying is my arms only go this big. Only to my genetic pool. You bring somebody else in? Oh. The, at what point? I'll tell you when the heart of flesh goes in there. Those arms get opened up and he's going to put all kinds of people in your arms. And you're going to love people and welcome people into your heart and your life, your home. You're going to, it, it, just, it just opens us up like that. Why? It's the way we're designed. That was the original intention. We're coming, we're, we're children of God now. Not, 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 not little people getting ourselves saved. The joy. The author of Hebrews says Jesus went to the cross joyfully. I believe he realized the gift he was giving to his father. He was rescuing lost children so that he would have the family the father longed for. It says in Hebrews, it says that for the joy set before him. Well, in fact, it's there. Let's fix, let's read it. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross. He didn't, endure, he didn't enjoy the cross, but he saw past the cross, and he knew that if I will pay this price, if I will die this death, there is enormous joy. Now, now, yes, our joy, but I'm going to tell you what I think the first joy was. The greatest joy in the Lord's heart was that he would give the Father that which the Father had longed for. His children. The joy of his father. To have children. That's the joy for Jesus. And yes. He loved us. And he saw us. But he loves his father. And he was giving his father. That which he longed for. We too. Give the father joy. When we become one flock. With one shepherd. Would you stand with me. Blessed be the Lord. I feel to just point this out a minute. I talked about repentance. And I talked about how there are so many people. And, and I actually think that, that there's going to be a real surprise for a lot of people when it comes down to who, who actually is in eternity with the Lord and who is not. I think we deceive ourselves. There is simply, he said, if anyone will come after me, he will pick up his cross and he will follow me. That's surrender. It's full surrender. There's no game in this thing. You can't game God. It's not like, sorry, I'm a sinner. Thank you, Jesus. You can't take a little bit of God in so that you're going to get your prayers answered. Those kinds of selfish motives are just what they are. They're selfish motives. Ultimately, Jesus looks for this, true repentance. Lord, I not only do I, I see my, my own flesh and my sin and the things I have done, and I, 
I, I, I regret it. I see the damage I've caused. I surrender to you. I need a Lord. I need you. And I bow my knee to you. And I will choose to live for you the rest of my life. Now, that's a scary thing. I had a woman the other week uh, come to us. And, and uh, I, we talked. And I said, would you like to pray? And she said, I don't know what to pray. And I said, well, why don't I pray the prayer I think you should pray? You can decide whether you want to pray it along with me. So I prayed along, and I, we surrendered our heart fully to Jesus Christ. And I, we talked about that. I, I mean, in the prayer, I was praying along. And when I was done, I said, so did you pray with me? She said, that was scary. And she says, yeah, I did. It's scary. If you and I understand what Jesus requires of us, it is scary. He's saying, give me your life. He's not saying here, pray this little prayer so you can go to heaven. He's saying, give me your life. And I am going to take and clean it up. And I'm going to change your morals. And I'm going to change your finances and your speech and your attitude. I'm going to take prejudices and biases and anger and selfishness out of you. I'm going to, I'm going to do surgery. Now, and if, the problem is we don't tell people this. We lie to them we, so we can lure them in. And what we've produced is this family full of people with, no, with stony hearts. And I regret in whatever measure I have done that. It isn't to be angry. It isn't to be mean. But brothers and sisters, have, have you and I surrendered to Jesus Christ? Have we repented? Have we acknowledged how deeply we need him and, and said, my life's yours? Change my speech. Change my morals. Change my finances. Change my attitudes. Change my, get my prejudices out of here. Open my arms up. Use me any way you want. I'm yours. And thank you with all my heart for dying for my sins. Thank you for, with all my heart for rising and breaking the power of death over me. Thank you that I have eternal life. And that I'm a child of God. Now. Thank you for that with all my heart. Repentance and faith. Those two things put together. Out goes the stone. In goes the flesh. And you and I are children of God. We're not perfect. We make all kinds of errors. But there's a tender conscience there. There's a yielded heart there. There's someone who's willing to pay the price. As, as Catherine Booth quoted Jesus. Pluck out the right eye and cut off the right hand. Who'll do whatever it takes to follow the Lord. Would you bow your heads with me? Anyone today who just needs to say, you know, now that you talk about repentance like that, I just need to acknowledge this day, I hear you, I hear what Jesus is calling for me, and I need to say it this day, I surrender fully, I repent entirely. He is my Lord, he can change and clean and do whatever he needs to do in me. This day, I am yielding to him willingly, I invite him in. Who needs to just, if you need to raise your hand, I'll just agree with you and acknowledge that. Just need to give a chance for a response. Yes, yes, yes. Praise God. Yes, yes. Yes. Hallelujah. Yes. 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 Many hands. But it's just important. We need to say this. Yes. I fully. Yes. Thank you, Lord. I fully surrender. I fully surrender to you. Oh, Lord Jesus. You really have come to bring us eternal life. You have come to make children for your Father. You have come to call us as disciples to live wholeheartedly for you. This day we bow our knee. We give you permission. You may clean us, change us. Our very thought life is in your hands. We will not think thoughts. We will surrender them to you over and over again. We will bring them into submission to you. Our attitude, our speech. We will, we will die to old prejudices. We will die to old, the smallness of life. And, the, and our self-protection, our desire for safety and comfort. We die to it. We're yours. We surrender fully. Now we put our hand in yours. And thank you, Jesus Christ. You have paid for our sins. You have borne our sorrows, borne our sin, borne our sickness. And we have new life and are filled with the Holy Spirit. 
We receive it, we confess it, we believe it with all our hearts. What a Savior. Thank you for the family, the community of your people that we have been joined to now. In Jesus Christ, we pray. If that's your prayer, would you say with me, amen? Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.